The gospel that you heard this morning is from the gospel of St. Mark. It's the second in the order in which the gospels are given in the New Testament, but it is in fact the oldest gospel. It is the shortest gospel. And in many ways it's very succinct and to the point. And that's why it's chosen for us on this second Sunday in the Advent season, the time of watching, a time of preparation. John, uh, Mark begins his gospel very dramatically and very simply. He says, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The operative word there, of course, is the beginning. This is a start to which we're all invited. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The evangelist that followed Mark gave us more information and their Gospels follow a little different format. Matthew begins his Gospel, since it's written for the Jewish people, with a genealogy, tracing Jesus all the way back to Adam. And then he introduced us to John the Baptist, who strangely appears in the desert, calling people to a new beginning, to repentance. Luke begins his gospel with the birth of John the Baptist, who is a cousin of Jesus Christ, and lays out that relationship for us, and then gives us some information of Jesus' private life during those 30 years before he appeared to begin the good news of the gospel. John, who was the last to write the gospel, some 75 years after the events that he records, is aware of how much people need to know about this Jesus Christ and his relationship to the Father and to us. And John takes us all the way back to the first beginning, to Genesis, and reveals to us that Jesus Christ, before he assumed the body of a man and the nature of mankind, existed before the beginning of time, and was together with the Father during the time of creation. And all of these together invite us to open our hearts and our minds to the unveiling of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and allow that good news to affect our lives. Probably the majority of you sitting in the congregation this morning are lifelong Christians. 
and the events that I've just recounted for you are not at all unfamiliar and you are aware of that that knowledge is in your head but what the second Sunday of Advent calls us to do with the emphasis on a new beginning is to allow that knowledge that you have in your head to make the long and difficult trip journey to the heart so that this knowledge that you have and this understanding can be a part of who you are and lead to action you may remember you may not and that's okay but Elijah was a prophet to Israel long before they were sent into exile And Elijah never died. Elijah never died. God brought him across the Jordan River and sent a flaming chariot down to pick him up and bring him up into heaven. And so Elijah never died. And then we have, I mentioned Malachi. One of the last verses of the Old Testament says this. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And so these Pharisees, seeing that 400 years of silence has been broken, come out to John, are you Elijah? Now here we have to understand, John denies this. In other Gospels, Jesus says, yes, John is Elijah. And in a sense, he is. John fulfills this prophecy. John, you know, he looks like Elijah. He wears the whole camel's hair thing, and he eats locusts sprinkled with a little bit of honey, um, It's a delicious meal. We're going to have that Christmas day at our house. Um, And so, in a sense, he is Elijah. But but when the Pharisees ask him that question, what they're asking him is, are you the one? Are you the Christ? Are are you, they thought Elijah was going to be the Messiah. And so John says, no. No, I'm not Elijah. Later, Jesus will say, he fulfills that prophecy, but he is not the Christ. So they ask another question. Okay, you're not Elijah. And so they say, are you the prophet? And I love um, how it was in our, our NIV translation when we read it, the prophet. They were both capitalized, the prophet. And that is a reference back to Deuteronomy 18, verse 18. Moses is about to die. He's about to deliver his people into the promised land. And, and they're a little worried. And God says this. I will raise up for them a prophet. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. And so here's the deal. Moses died. Joshua came along. And Joshua was really amazing. But he wasn't Moses. And then they had these kings, you think David and Solomon, Hezekiah, the last really good king. And they, they were great, but they weren't, they weren't Moses. And so they're waiting for the prophet, one like Moses. John, are you the prophet? No. No, I am not the prophet. So this point, 
getting a little frustrated, I would imagine, with John. They said, John, verse 22, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. Who are you? And this is really kind of an amazing statement. The folks that come to see John aren't even the ones who want to know who he is necessarily. They were sent. They were sent by by some other Pharisees. And that just blows my mind. Because if they had been sitting there for 400 years, you would think that if they heard this voice, that they would want to come themselves. But no, they send somebody, this almost indifference. The voice has finally come, the silence is broken, and they're not interested even in hearing what he has to say. And so he even answers them, I am the voice crying out in the wilderness. And they can't listen. They are too hung up on their expectations on what they expect their Messiah to be, this, this military ruler, and they want that so bad to be John. And John's saying, I'm not him. And, and, and when John tells them who he is, they can't even hear him. He's, I mean, this is amazing. John says, I am the voice crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Isaiah said this before Israel returned from exile. They had seen this before. Isaiah said it. God delivered them home. And now John's saying it again. I'm the voice. Get ready. They can't hear it. They don't want to hear it. He tells them who he is. They don't want to hear it. Yeah, that's great. Sure, you're the voice. But why are you out here baptizing? You said you're not those other guys. What are you doing? John responds, I am baptizing with water. I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. There's something bigger coming than John the Baptist. John baptizes with water, but the one to come after him will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John, this great prophet, this great voice in the wilderness, is not even worthy to untie the filthy, dirty, unwashed sandals of this man who will come after him. The Pharisees cannot even hear it. We should look at this story this morning from from two angles to see how it speaks to us today. In the first First angle we're going to look at is is John the Baptist. What is his role? What is his role in this story of redemption that God is laying out for us in Scripture? What John does, what he is, is a witness. He is a witness. In all four Gospels, John says the same thing. It's, It's remarkably consistent, this quote. He says, repent and be baptized. Prepare the way of the Lord. Get ready. That's what John says. He is a witness to Jesus. A couple chapters later, and we're still in John's Gospel, um, chapter 3, John says this. He wants nothing to do with himself. He says, You yourselves bear me witness. He's talking to his own disciples. Um, And they see Jesus, and John says this to them. He says, 
I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hear him, hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist is all about Jesus. His answer, who are you? Well, I'm not Jesus. That's who he is. Is it not Jesus? That's all he can be. And so he says, I, he must increase and I must decrease. This is, this is a great picture he gives of this great wedding. And think of, of a, the best man at the wedding. And a good best man, not the guys you see on TV, but a real good best man. The best man rejoices at the sound of the groom. The best man doesn't want to be the groom. He doesn't pretend to be the groom. His joy is complete when the groom arrives. When the groom is united with his bride. He takes no greater pleasure than that. And so we have John the Baptist and he sees Jesus. That's all he wants. That's all he knows. That's all he can proclaim. I'm not Jesus. It's amazing. Verses 6 to 8. We're in this great prologue of John's gospel. And it, uh, John, he writes, this is a different John, not John the Baptist. This is the disciple John. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And this is great poetry. And then we get this weird interruption. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light. But came witness to bear, became to bear witness about the light. He was not the light. Verse 20, I am not the Christ. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. Even verse 25, why are you baptizing? He doesn't answer that question. Isn't that strange? Why are you baptizing? He doesn't tell him why. He will speak nothing of himself. The only thing he can say is, you think that's neat. Wait till you see the guy coming after me. And so what, what do we know about John? If we didn't have our other Gospels, and we just had this one, what would we know about John? Who are you? I am a voice. I am a voice. That's all he says. I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. Think about that. A voice, my voice has nothing. It's, there's no identity to my voice without me. My voice can't decide what to say. My voice... Can't say it unless I tell it to. And John is a voice. A voice of one crying in the wilderness. He doesn't think of what to say. He doesn't think of what to be. He just, he just is because of the one who will come after him. So what is John's witness? His witness is, I'm not the Christ. The other way into this story is to look at these, these Pharisees. And we have to remember, these folks are not clueless. They're not dummies. They've read their scriptures. They know who they're looking for. They ask them, are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. But they know something's coming, and they're looking, and they're waiting, and they want to hear the voice in the midst of the silence, and they cannot they could not hear 
what John was saying. Again, verse 23, I am the voice crying in the wilderness. That statement is so rich and full of meaning. These folks who know their scriptures backwards and forwards better than we can even imagine today, they should have heard that, but they could not. They're too tied up. Their own hopes, their own dreams, their own expectations of what this Messiah would look like. I I can just see them, you know, they're approaching John. Maybe this is the guy. The guy who's, he's going to make us something again. He's going to restore our nation. This is that guy who's going to kick those dirty Romans out of here. Give us our land back. Get all these sinners gone. John is here. That's not John's message. It's not what, it was not that the world or the culture didn't need to look out because, because Jesus was coming and he, he would judge all of that. But his message was simply for the religious leaders as well. Get ready. Get ready. The Messiah is coming. When I read passages like this, I, I love to read these passages and and often the first thing I thank, sometimes we pray this, say, oh, Lord, thank you that I'm not like those Pharisees. Um, and then he speaks to me very quietly, sometimes very loudly, and he says, well, you are like those Pharisees. I feel like sometimes, you know, it's easy for us to just sit there, to sit back and wait. Let others go out and test the water. Send others to see what this Jesus is about. Hey, go find out and come tell me. We look around for for the Messiah of our own expectations, the Jesus of our own expectations, the Jesus, you know, who's going to reward us if we work really hard. Maybe even if we pray enough or read the Bible, that Jesus, he's going to reward us. He owes us something. Sometimes we look around for, for a Messiah who, who, who will somehow approve some of the insane consumerism that Christmas has become. We, we want that Jesus. You know, the Jesus that will sit quietly in the corner in his little crash while the rest of the house is lit up with blow-up Santas and snow globes. We want that Jesus. We want the Jesus who's satisfied when we worship him, you know, two, three, maybe Five times a year. We're looking around for him. That's who we're looking for. And when, when we find that, when we're looking for that, we actually can't hear the voice. The voice who's crying out to us in the silence of our hearts. Listen to John's word to the Pharisees. This, this cuts me to the heart. Verse 26, John answers them. They're looking and they, they, they want John to be something. And he says, you know, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. Among you stands one that you do not know. Think about that house with all the lights. In fact, we could even say the silence of these blazing lights in your face. And among all of that, there's one that you do not know. He's there. He's here. We know him. Because we are all in need of this redemption. We all 
need to take this, this spiritual blindness, this silence of our hearts. We need to lay it down at the cross where Jesus Christ came to redeem us, where he was, he was born as this little baby in humility. And then he, he left this world in the same humble way he came in, except he left humbly on a cross. And that's where we need to go. All, every one of us need to go there time and time again. And when we do that, we come back to John, to John's role, because that's the role that God has laid out for us to witness to Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit to step out of the shoes of the Pharisees and into the shoes of John and to declare to the world that our life is nothing. Our life is nothing except Jesus Christ. Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Jesus Christ who lives in me. That our lives are nothing except Jesus. So somebody comes up to me and says, who are you? I could say something like this. I could say, well, I'm from Charleston. I am the Reverend Tyler Prescott, assistant at St. Paul's Somerville. Perhaps you've heard of us. I'm the husband to a beautiful wife, father of four, almost five perfect children. In another life, maybe it would have been, I'm a CEO. I'm Tyler Prescott Esquire. I'm Dr. Tyler. Maybe some of you are thinking, I'm an amazing mother. I'm an A-plus student in school. I'm a great football player. Who are you? Who are you? Are you any of those things? Or will you respond like this? Who are you? Well, I'm not Jesus, but I can introduce you to him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your witness, John the Baptist. We pray, Lord, for the power of your cross, for the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would fall on us, that you would stir up your power in us. That we could accept your offer of salvation, that we could be redeemed, and that we could leave this building to bear witness to your name, Lord. Help us to embrace our identity, Lord, our identity of not Jesus that we may proclaim you. And we ask all this in your holy name. Amen.